All right, we're well, we're not live, but hey, what's up, Mark? Nice to have you. How's it going, man? Dude, I'm doing well. Thanks for the invite. It's good to reconnect. I'm so glad that you're doing this, and I'm I'm honored to be here, honestly. <laughs> yeah, man. So we so like clearly anyone listening or watching doesn't know how we're connected. We connected, I believe, on 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 a, in, a LinkedIn, excuse me. I don't know, three, four years ago, something like when LinkedIn yeah. was popping off, we were definitely one of, I'm going to just say a number, 30 people who were like going hard on LinkedIn, um, building like personal brands on LinkedIn and doing all the content marketing and stuff like yeah. that. Right. Isn't, isn't, yeah. isn't was it LinkedIn? Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I had, I invited you on my podcast and, and you were, right. you were like episode, I don't even remember like 15 or something. Yeah. And then fast forward like 500 plus episodes <laughs> later is crazy, man. I, I remember I found you. I don't even know what I was. I was just like searching for like some keywords. Cause I was yeah. like, man, I don't have any guests. I was just starting <laughs> off. I was like, and I found you and I was like, Oh wow. And then I like learn about all the different things that you talk about jujitsu. And I was like, Oh wow. There's yeah. a lot that I can, and I wanted to start talking about like the more mindset mental stuff. And so you, yeah. you were, you were actually, I was starting to like slowly, you know, bridge, but that was like in, I think it was 2017 at the end yeah. of 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mental health, which I'm sure we're going to get into quite a bit here is, is, is actually very big to me for many reasons. And yeah. So like, I think what we discussed on your podcast is, uh, sort of how I leverage jujitsu and, and overall, just working out is kind of my my best means for addressing mental health, my mental health. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I and I run a an Instagram page or it's on all social. It's called Jujitsu Saved My Life, mm. and it's not literal for me, but it's literal for a lot of people that for them jujitsu and you can extrapolate to martial arts and sports and working out. It saves a lot of people's lives, not just physically, but I mean, arguably more importantly, mentally, emotionally for what you get out. So yeah, man, it was awesome to do this whole circle to be on your podcast a few years ago. And now you're on the introverts are us podcast. And I think it's going to be Woo! 10 times better than back then you were just getting started. I was just getting started, <laughs> you know? So a lot has changed. You've had, you've had a book out, uh, you got courses. So you got a lot of awesome stuff <laughs> to, to provide people. So yeah, man, dude, it's, and then, you know, it's crazy what you said about the, um, about the jujitsu thing, because like personally for me, I remember growing up and I, I didn't play any sports. I wasn't athletic at all. I was like straight up sedentary. And for me, when I just started to like find something physical too, um, I haven't gotten into martial arts yet, but like literally for me with walking, I think yeah. that saved my life, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I think the simplicity of these things, especially yeah. if you find them at certain mo moments of your life, I think it just like teaches you that you can use that tool to like enter into a different state of mind. And when you're in that different state of mind, life just like happens differently. You know, it's more easier to like be yourself or, or whatever the case may have you. And like that, that 1% difference every day, like that can be a huge difference in like the quality of your life. And so I'm so glad that like you were able to find that. I honestly, I want to get into martial arts. Like there's this, there's like this karate studio or I forget the martial art. It's right next to my grocery store mm -hmm. every day or like every week when I go there, I'm always looking at, it, I'm like, 
I'm going to walk in <laughs> one of these days. Cause I, uh, I actually tried to play karate when I was younger, but I never got into it. But I, I, I got to revisit that for sure. Where do you live? I live in uh, Massachusetts. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's, there's tons of uh, martial arts out there for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I, I definitely think you should try it and see if you're into it or not. And everyone's into it, but definitely tried maybe different martial arts, but of course I'm biased that jujitsu is a huge part of my life. Um, and it's, I mean, but you know, what's so weird though, because, um, I don't, it's like, um, it's such a conundrum. So we talk about being introverted. We talk about social anxiety and we also can talk about because they are very different things. Uh, yeah. People who are introverted and socially anxious. Mm. Um, that's definitely me. Um, actually showing up to jujitsu is the hardest part for me. Jujitsu is actually very, very physically difficult, but it's also mm. really fun and rewarding and it has so many benefits, but because mm. I have to be in a very specific mood to want to go, to want to be around people, to be in a very stimulated um, environment. It's loud, mm. there's lights, you're physical with people, with initially, at least for most people, <laughs> with strangers. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very, um, for me, I mean, I probably never told anyone this, but it's very overwhelming, actually. As much as mm. I love jujitsu, it's hard for me to show up a lot. I've been training for like off and on for like 12 years. I, I should easily be a black belt right now. I'm a, I'm a brown belt, which is one belt below that. Mm. But so many literally years, I kind of just didn't go much because there was just times in my life where I just was not in the right mind state to mm. want to be in that environment and be that social and be with strangers and be in so, so much stimulation, even though I knew the benefits and I swear by the benefits and I evangelize the benefits of jujitsu. I still to this day don't show up nearly as much as I'd like to because I'm, I just have this adversity because I'm just, I got to be in a specific mood and it's, it's really shitty. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. What, like, are there are there any times where like you go there and like you don't really feel it but then you're like mm, maybe I should go there and then and then a follow up question is after you go there like once you get through like that initial approach mm -hmm. then how do you feel or or is it like you just don't step foot if you don't feel like it um i would say sense? yeah 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 more often than not <laughs> if I'm not feeling it, I just don't go. And that's not great. But to your point, many times I have went, even though I wasn't feeling it, you're right. There's just an initial, initial 30 minutes or something. And then it's fine. It's totally fine. There is just a, mm. a, a barrier you have to just break. And then, especially with jujitsu, at least, I can't say that's always the case with other times of socialization, other types of environments. Yeah. Like, work or parties or family or whatever it is, um, speaking events, whatever. I, I'm not sure it's equivalent to that. And the reason for maybe the reason for that is, mm. I don't know, is that jujitsu demands your full focus. It's, it's incredibly physical. 
it's mm. dangerous. Um, you know, you're choking each other, you're bending limbs, you're, you're basically you're wrestling, uh, but with the submissions added to it. So there's no there's no way you can just like lose your attention or be out of it. Like that doesn't work. Um, the environment is sort of fight or flight the whole time. Mm, um, and that's that's so actually a good thing. It's kind of a good thing because when that happens, then you're, then you're in the zone and then you kind of, for me, you kind of forget about the anxious thoughts or introverted type of thoughts and you're just in it. And that's awesome. It's, you're just surviving and it's cool in, in a good way. I mean, but getting there is the problem. You just most of mm. the time introverts or people with social anxiety will just choose not to show up in the first place. And that's where it, that's, that's kind of the issue I think in many ways. Um, so for me to this day, it's, st I still don't show up a lot. Cause I just like, and I know, I know these people, I know a lot of these people for years. So it's also the whole stranger element isn't as big of a factor either. It's mm. still like, I just, I don't know. Do I want to be in a, sort of a crowd of people mm. even though it's doing something I love. And, and that's sort of, it's kind of sad, um, but I'm self-aware about it and I know I'm not the only one. Mm. That's so interesting, man. Well, dude, I mean, first off, thank you for sharing, dude. I mean, I think a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people also like in the jujitsu community who have this overlap, I'm sure they would want to hear this too, you know? Um, and it, and it's so interesting. And I think, I think for me, one of the biggest things that I've seen is like, as I have met a lot more people who maybe are similar to us, I feel like one of the biggest trends that I've learned is that a lot of us are very like smart and very intelligent. And I think one of the biggest traps when it comes to like social anxiety is that we think we have to do more. We think that we have to use like more of our brain power. But if anything, I actually feel like it's the opposite. I feel like it's learning how to actually use your brain less in these specific scenarios, you know, and a great analogy I heard is like, your mind is like a radio. So there's like AM, there's FM channels, right? You could say, let's say AM is social anxiety or anxiety. FM is maybe just like a more, you know, conscious, relaxed you. Um, and the reality is, is that like the, the AM, the anxiety, it's not going to go away. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do to like manage, to deal with it, to treat with it. But really what it's about is it's learning how to use your brain as a tool to be like, hey, for this specific case, let me learn how to like switch this channel, you know, so that kind of like what you said of like, you just kind of forget of like yeah. everything else. And I think that's yeah. like one of the most important things, because if you it's it's not very easy to get there, um, but if you can get there, then I think what happens is like something clicks in your brain. And for some people, and you start to realize that like, there is something that you can do differently because I don't know about you, but I know for me, before I really realized that there were things that you could do about this to manage it, to improve it a little bit before it just kind of feels like you're just sort of like stuck and like you're hopeless and life is very dark. And so I think like thinking about that from that perspective in terms of even if you can just like moving your mind a little bit and the, your attention, yeah, especially with social anxiety is like so important for people to know that because a lot of people think, like, Oh, I have to get rid of it. Or I have to like use all my brain power and try to control every thought. And it's like, it's about entering a different channel, you know? And a lot of the times, like if, if you're not taught or if you don't, you know, have the right, um, 
you know, friends, parents, whatever that have taught yeah. you that, or you didn't have the right scenarios. Like a lot of people just don't get there. And I think that's really important. I know I was like that. So it's very interesting. Yeah. I think, um, I think you're right. Especially when it comes to things that are either hardwired like personality types, um, introversion, extroversion, and where you are in mm -hmm. that spectrum and, or, uh, mental health type of things, uh, that may become hardwired. It may not be hardwired from birth, but yeah. those, I think the, your analogy is interesting that those, those thoughts, those emotions are a frequency that are probably, um, or predominantly going to always be on that frequency is always on. Right but you're suggesting, okay, that's on. There's always an AM, but unless you tune your radio to AM, you're not going to get the signal, right? Yeah. So your analogy is try to focus on the FM and in, 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 to your point of like, that might be a more relaxed or positive type of mindset, which may not be easy to access for certain people, including myself, but you got to tune to FM as best you can. AM's going nowhere. And if you, if you aren't, if your hand isn't on the dial, then you might get on AM. I don't know. Is yeah. Right. Is that a, an yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. And I think you did right. And I think, I think that the best, the, I think what may be confusing to anyone listening to this is that it's actually counterintuitive. Yeah. Um, so like, for example, like if you step into like a social situation, a social scenario, what often happens is that, you know, you start to, you know, your brain starts to like, you know, it's different for everyone, but your brain starts to like what I call like, it starts to like run through like the algorithm. So it starts to like, imagine maybe how, how you look based on other people and how they're viewing you. And a lot of times what happens is like, when you're socially anxious, a lot of times you just like look down, you know, or you just try not to make eye contact with people. But a lot of the times what happens is when you do that, and you actually like, are not directly looking at physical external reality what's happening is that like you're looking down or you're looking at somewhere else and then now like the like your overactive introspection can actually be used to like imagine different sort of um like fear-based thoughts that make social anxiety possible and a big part of it comes from not actually uh paying attention towards the right things because a lot of times when you step into a social situation a lot of the times then you sort of ask yourself like, oh, how do I look? Uh, how are they looking at me? Is everything okay? A lot of the times you're not actually tapped into like who you really are. You're asking your social anxiety that. And like no matter how you look, no matter how amazing you are, no matter how great of a job you're doing, if you're asking your social anxiety that, it's always just going to take you down, you know? And so I think yeah. a lot of times like when I say oh, don't pay attention to it. I'm not saying like, oh, just try to ignore it, right? Because that's not really possible. But what it's about, it's like, hey, how can I, whether it's like put my body or put my brain or put my mind in a, in a, in a different physical state to, you know, if I have exercised or if I have, like, for example, um, like before this, I went for a walk and then I also did a breathing exercise. I don't, I don't know how much you're into that, but like that, because that physically changes like the state of my brain so that mm. once I enter in that bigger physical state, my thoughts will just automatically change. I don't have to work as hard to try to like fight each and every thought 
because yeah. I know that it's just a different channel. I can just shift the channel rather than being like, oh, should I go to 94.5 or should I go to 95.5? And a lot oh. of times, like if you're true introspective, you get put on like this like complicated mental loop. And I think that's like a huge contributor to social anxiety, if that makes sense. If you get that. Yeah, no, I think I think you're doing something really powerful, which is I, I personally haven't done too much of it. I think my main source of addressing these mind states and emotions and social anxiety and all these kinds of stuff has been exercise. But again, like I said, I definitely well, I've been I've been I've been athletic, I've been an athlete, I've been competing in sports my entire life. Having said that, I still don't show up, like I said, if I'm in the wrong mind state. Mm -hmm. And I think what I need to get better at is finding means. And you, you, you've you mentioned some that I haven't got into. Of course, a lot of people swear by them at meditation and breathing exercises and things like that. Um, that might be something that could be useful for myself and others because what what I might need and others might need is there's something you want to do. Like for you, maybe it was jump on this podcast right now, but you're like, mm. I want to be in the right mind state so that I, I, I have the best experience and things like that. And I'm who I want to be and stuff like that. So maybe for me, what I need to do is, is, is find those tools like that and do that when I don't feel like going to jujitsu or whatever it is, do that, leverage these tools beforehand so that I can hopefully get myself into a mind state where then I do want to go. Because if I, if I'm just, if I don't use any kind of means that you've mentioned, for example, I'm, I'm just not going to go. I'm just going to drive home and be like, all right, after work, I'm just going home. But maybe at work, if I'm like, ah, I should really go to jujitsu or to the gym or whatever after this, I just don't feel like being around people or whatever it is, that environment, big, loud, noisy environment with lights and music. Maybe I need to go in my car before I leave or something, do some sort of meditative thing, whatever it is, and then get myself refreshed in a new in a new mental environment where then making the decision to go isn't a struggle. Is that maybe something you would suggest? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's a it's a lifelong process, you know, and and like the reality is is that yeah, there are definitely like a handful of things that you know, I like I would talk about that when you look at the science, like the data is clearly there of like, yeah, it doesn't work for everyone. But for most people like this, this, this and that clearly works for people who have social anxiety. Um, but I think it's just a learning process, you know, and you just learn how best like implement these things. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that you said that was really interesting um, is that like, you know, for me and and like a lot of people who I talk to who have social anxiety, not everyone, but a lot of the times you can often trace it back to this moment where someone made you feel something that you didn't want to feel. And usually it has to do with some sort of like social isolation, you know, being kicked out of like a group of friends, being kicked out of like your family, some culture, tradition. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of it just when I've you know had time to think about this, I don't know if I'm right. But I think what that has to do with is like when you were a kid, somebody, uh, some outside force um, made you feel like you were not yourself. Maybe they misjudged you. Maybe they assumed something mm -hmm. about you. Maybe they made fun of you, bullied you, abused you, whatever the case may be. And I think what happens is like that leaves a mark like in your brain. And I think what happens is when you are a kid or you're a teenager or whatever and you go through this – 
and you're trying to hide this, you don't want to talk about this with anyone, that wound gets bigger and bigger to the point where every time you then step in a similar environment, a similar scenario, your brain is sort of trying to perceive, which like if you, you know, I, I learned this yesterday from, I forget who made this video, but they said the word perceive, the definition of perceive is your brain's ability to take meaningless data and make it into something meaningful. And so you go through as a kid, your brain is giving you this data. And then now every time you step in this environment or someone maybe has a certain kind of cue with their face uh, or, or something that triggers your brain, your brain then goes through like the same emotional wiring, the same emotional loop. And again, like if you don't talk about this with other people, if you don't have a way to release that, what happens is that just becomes you. And, and I think the biggest thing that I've learned about that is I feel like at some subconscious level, like now that we're adults and you're, you're going to go to jujitsu or I want to go to this place, I want to see these people. I feel like there is a part of us that is still actually fearing like, wait, should I be myself or should I just like be whoever that they called me, made fun of me? And so I feel like for me, one of the biggest things that's helped me with that is just like as simple as it seems, it's just like being really clear about my intentions for like what I'm doing and where I'm going. And like literally, for example, like if I'm going to an event or if I'm going to meet friends or if I'm going to meet a lot of people, whatever, I will like literally pull out my journal and I'll write down like, you know, like this is my intention for like going to this, uh, to this, you know, situation. Uh, and then I journal quite regularly. And so I talk about, um, you know, just like ways that I want to show up in the world. And so I feel like that has been one of the biggest things that's helped me of like, before I go somewhere, I choose who I want to be, which is myself. And like that may, that might seem like dumb or like stupid, but, but I think there's definitely something about that, that makes it much more clearer for your mind to then slip into that and pay attention to that mm -hmm. versus, you know, trying to like escape like this, like social anxiety prison that is, is like very hard and pulls you further. Um, and is very, you know, like, you know, very counterintuitive. And so I think that's been one of the biggest things for me of like literally specific, like writing down of like yeah. who I want to be before an event or just writing down my intentions, you know, and it's, it seems simple, but it, 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 I think it works for some case sometimes. <laughs> no, I know. I, I mean, I've, ex I mean, I haven't done exactly what you've said, but I, I, I think unless I'm uh, mistaken, some of that is kind of Buddhist and some of that is kind of Hindu, Hinduism, right? I believe is like there's about intention and about decision that there's power mm -hmm. and clarity in, in having a clear intention of, like you said, who I'm going to be, what I'm there for, that clarity and, and, and also the, 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 the power, the, the relief you get from making a decision as well. I think those two mm -hmm. things are something mm -hmm. that they do relieve anxiety. I don't do it all the mm -hmm. time because I'm, I'm just unskilled at it, but I have noticed when I do it, just like when I go to jujitsu, I see the benefits, even though I still cannot consistently do it. When I do it, I notice the benefits and I have in some ways done what you said about having clear intentions. And, uh, mm -hmm. and also to me, I, I added on the, the, the deciding something, 
I, mm. I, something that's something actually Will Smith talks about a lot as well in his kind of motivational videos is mm. the, the, the power and the, the relief of anxiety of making a decision and just sticking with it. Mm. And that kind of brings me to another, um, um, I guess issue that I have is, is being indecisive in general. And mm. I don't, I don't know if that is related to anxiety in some way, mm. or if it's related to being a highly analytical person, or if it's related to wanting to control environments or whatever it is. I, I never, I mean, I've thought about it a lot, but I don't exactly know what indecision necessarily comes from, might come from different things, but is, is indecision something about anything in life. I'm, I'm not kidding. Talking about food, talking about what clothes to wear, what time to go to something. I mean, literally about anything. Have you, have you struggled with indecision? Do you know much about kind of the, the, the effect of indecision on anxiety mm. and introversion? I mean, it's interesting. I never thought about what you said about before about decision and what Will Smith said about the power that comes from making a decision. Hmm, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. Um, I mean, I know, I know, like two or three weeks ago, uh, I was like trying to make this decision, and I literally was just like on my phone, like researching, trying to figure it out for like two or three hours, mm -hmm. and 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 I, I got so stressed, and like I never yeah. got that stressed before that I stopped and I was like, wait, like what's happening here? And it was because like I was in the middle of like just doing too many things. I was like trying to launch my program. I was trying to do that. I was trying to do this. Um, so, I mean, I don't know, but I think the biggest thing is that, I mean, if you, you know, I think if you face some anxiety and you're also like a six, you know, relatively successful, then I feel like a part of your brain is always thinking like, oh, but there's something maybe better. There's something maybe better. There's another possibility. There's another mm -hmm. choice. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know that much, but what I will say is that I think for me, the best way that I've handled these is similar to like what you said about jujitsu of like, I have to be in a certain mood or I'll put my brain in a certain mood and I'll make decisions because I know that if I spend two hours just sort of aimlessly, not really trying to be strategic about it, not thinking about my state of mind, my, um, the state of my brain at that time of making decision. I know it's going to take me two hours. It's going to stress me out. Whereas I know if I'm in the right mood, the right state of mind, I've been a little bit strategic about it and I've prepared. Then when it's time to make the decision, I could probably make that decision in like 10 minutes, you know? And so maybe, maybe not like every time, but I yeah. think that's a big thing of like, right. um, you know, and, and I remember like, for sure, like when I was younger too, like just like different, different work that I would do in school, or just like different work that I do, like as an entrepreneur, like in my business, I would notice that depending on my state of mind, I would accomplish like the same exact thing in 10 minutes. Whereas maybe some other times it takes me like an hour and a half because of my state of mind, you know? And so being able to like learn how I naturally work, depending on the time of day, there's like all the stuff about like your circadian rhythm, like natural mm -hmm. energy, sort of like that. Um, that's where I try to match it. I try to be strategic. I try to balance it out with my sort of mind and body. And I've tried to like really not force things, you know, these days, because I noticed that if I'm, if I'm always trying to control everything, if I'm always trying to force yeah. everything, that's where I feel like these simple things like making decisions, they stress you out way more. So, I mean, I don't know. How do, how do you deal with it? <laughs> Uh, I don't. I don't think I do. I just live in a perpetual state of anxiety, I guess. Um, you know, I mean, 
I, I guess I'm, yeah, it comes at a cost. It's, it's tough for me sometimes because I'm so analytical, so research oriented and I'm, I'm mm. fairly intelligent so that I've, I, I seem to usually make very good decisions usually. And, and I know that's because of the, believe it or not, to some degree, this, the, the lengths I go to in researching and analyzing things before I do them. Mm. So I'm always in the kind of a weird, uh, uh, just a weird kind of, uh, argument in my head about how do I find the balance where I can still be myself and analytical and all the and research oriented and stuff like that. And cause I'm, I tend to make good decisions in retrospect more often than not, but at what cost? Because mm. up until the point of making those decisions, I seem to go through a great deal of anxiety um, that I more or less am creating myself. Um, so that I have yet to really figure out how to address it other than being self-aware, which I'm clearly self-aware about it. So mm. what I just try to do is catch myself when I'm doing it and force myself to make decisions on things. Mm. Um, I mean, I even did it today. Um, I'm in the air force. Um, and I have to move to Texas for a few months for training on short mm -hmm. notice. I got short notice and I'm really stressed about how do I move from California to Texas in like a week. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah. So I'm like looking for movers <sighs> and stuff. Right. And like, I just, you know, pulled up Yelp today, like a couple hours before this. And I was like, looking for movers, looking at all these companies and looking at their reviews and calling them and getting prices. Mm. It's just like 10, 10 companies in. I'm <laughs> like, you could do this forever. I could yeah. do this forever. So I found a company that was available next week. The prices were a little bit more than someone else's, but they were down and like, we're ready to go. Let us know. And this is somewhat of a success where I was just like, F it. All right, let's go. Yeah. You're, you're the guys I'm going with you. You're a little bit more expensive. I'm just deciding, even though it literally is going to cost me more financially, which again, in I'm usually making good decisions. Maybe normally I wouldn't want to pay more because it's not smart to pay more for the same service necessarily. Right. But I realized like this has to end. I can't research forever and look for the best deal because I'm anxious this entire. So I'm willing to accept some loss for my state of mind to be clear and look now i'm good to go i got a storage unit i got my movers i'm good so now i literally don't have to think about this until next week now and honestly that's worth paying the 80 dollars more than i'm gonna pay to me so that's kind of how i've learned is like having these little successes i think you probably teach some stuff like this in your course you gotta and i i kind of teach this stuff on when i do instagram lives on introverts or i tell people like you need these little wins it's not always like it's not always like, oh, what do you do to be successful all the time? I'm just not. And I'm just honest about it. I just, yeah. I just have Nobody some is. wins here or there. And those little wins, I can just look back on and use them to remind myself, I got to have, I got to do the same thing. Look, you've done it before, you know, look back on the way you did it this one time or that other time and try to replicate it. And that's just one of the techniques to answer your question is kind of how I do it is just I try to have wins here or there, stack those little wins. And then I have some experience to look back on and just try to leverage those in, in future decision-making. 
Dude, that's huge, man. And honestly, that's that sounds like such a stressful situation <laughs> to move from California to Texas in a week. Yeah, I've done oh, stuff man. like that many times, man. I did the same thing. I moved to San Francisco on short notice. I've moved to, I'm not moved. I've been to Afghanistan. Like I do, I've done this a lot, bro. My life is like <laughs> perpetual moving. Afghanistan. That's a whole nother. Yeah, uh, that's a whole nother topic. But, um, yeah. So definitely, my my in some ways my lifestyle creates some stress too. So that's the other thing being, I think that's the other, uh, you know, thing about being self-aware is understanding your role in social anxiety and whatever mm. that is and your mental state, even if it's not anxiety, depression, anything, what's your role in it. Mm. Right. And I think that's why self-awareness is really important. Not because it solves everything. Cause it won't. Some people have very clinical mental health issues that certainly cannot be solved by self-awareness alone, but, <laughs> but it certainly helps because if you really understand how you think, how you process stuff, how you act, your, your patterns of behavior, it just helps because you're going to have more of those little wins because every once in a while you'll be able to catch yourself and correct yourself. So that's, that's just my two-sided coin because the self-awareness is awesome in the way I'm explaining it, but I'm sure you can attest like you said, sometimes the over self-awareness, the over introspection can actually create anxiety. So it's a weird cyclical type of relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, you know, when you look at, you know, someone who's like an introvert, you know, where your mind is more naturally built to be more introspective, like that, like it's a, it's a superpower in a way, you know, yeah. but also it can get too much, you know? And so if you can't manage yeah. that or, you know, if you end up having, you know, certain life paths and whatnot, it, it can get dark, you know? And, yeah. and, and I think one of the biggest things that I've learned for me personally was that like, I was past the level of like self-awareness, you know? And, and I think for me, like one of the things that I did was like, I, I was like reading all these books and, and like articles online when I first like started to become aware of the fact that I had social anxiety mm -hmm. and it was like, Oh, you know, try to expose yourself. Right. And, and, and so try to put yourself in these situations where you expose yourself to like these fears, these social fears. And so I remember yeah. doing that. And the interesting part was that it actually made my mental health much worse. And, and like, I remember I was in college at the time and so I was like, okay, let me just like try to walk up to like people in the cafeteria or people yeah. in the library yeah. and like see someone who doesn't look busy and try to introduce myself. But like what I would notice was like every time I would try to do that, no matter like what, my brain would just take me out of it. Like something would happen. My brain was just like, nah, they look like they don't like you. Just do it to the next person. And then the next person would come and then it just would never happen. I would never walk up to them. And when that happened, it, it like made me stress out way more. And it was like a huge burden, right? you know, to my mental health, you know? And so yeah, that's why like if, you know, like for me, like a lot of the content that I make is about like action-based things, you know? Because I think it's great to have, you know, a certain self-awareness It's great to like be aware of your thoughts. It's great to read books and, and, and learn more and research, but then also like at a certain level, like personally for me, like, you know, my brain was operating in a certain way for 10 years where like, even if I wanted to, even if I tried to like muster all of the mental will that I had at that time, I still could not walk out of that loop that my brain and mind sort of like trap you in if you have social anxiety, like from a young age. And so for me, like, 
I remember one of the biggest things was, um, you know, I said walking. One of the biggest things for me was was sleep. You know, I I always had issues my entire life with with sleep and. And, um, you know, they've done all kinds of studies. Like I know UCLA and Berkeley have done studies that show, you know, like if you take someone and you, you know, sleep deprive them, yeah, their brain and the way that they act is yeah. basically like someone who it, like has like paranoid, like, yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. And so like, there's all these different studies and there's also other studies that show like social anxiety, sleep is like a huge huge mm. huge potential but then almost nine times out of ten a lot of people with social anxiety have never really been able to sleep their entire life or it's like always been a struggle with them or they have to take this or that or if they've like sort of tried mm. to figure it out a way um and, and so i think it's just so important because for me like now i recently i recently i just had my tedx talk come out where i i talked about this like where for me like once i started to understand the power of, uh, you know, I would say like the three biggest things that I have found in terms of like social anxiety, mental health, according to like the data and science that work the best are, um, your, uh, your gut microbiome, which is basically yes. connected to your chronic stress and your diet, yes. um, meditation, mindfulness meditation. And the third one is like uh, incremental layer by layer exposure therapy for social anxiety and there's all these layers I could go through them, but like those three things are, I would say like the three biggest things that if people are coming from like a lifelong of like social anxiety, mental health, like I think those things work the best quote unquote for most people, but yeah. it's difficult. It's very difficult. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one thing that's super fascinating to me that I've, I've only watched a, f a few videos, read a few articles. Uh, I don't know too too much uh like in depth but it seems to be there's a an emerging I'll, I'll call it emerging it's emerging for me emerging science of the 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 gut brain um um what do you call it like connection nexus uh whatever it is right and that the the nerves in in the the stomach and in the intestines in the digestive system were highly influencing the brain and hormones and therefore mental health. And again, I, I don't want to speak too many specifics because I forgot some of the details, but that seems to be really, really, really interesting science um, that some scientists are even suggesting that again, this it's going to be hard to prove, some even say that the gut is the main brain and that our brain in the in your in your skull is actually the secondary brain which of course is sounds wild right. but but their science again i'm just loosely giving the synopsis is that because what we feed our stomach instantly um affects the nerves in the digestive tract and those influence hormone production and reduction straight to the, the blood brain barrier in the brain that your mental, your mental health and your mental well being is directly influenced by what you eat, not just your physical body, your fat, your carbohydrates, all that stuff, which refers to more of your physical appearance, but your, um, uh, your emotional well being. Have you heard, have you heard about much about that or what, what do you think? 
Ever since I came across this in 2017, 2016, I'm not even joking. Literally every week I wake up at like 6 a.m. and I just like research this. <laughs> and, 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 you know, they, they're calling it, um, they're calling it nutritional psychiatry. Oh, and, sure. and I, okay. yeah. And, and I think so like one of the biggest nutritional pharmacology even, right? Honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I don't oh, know. Okay. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But like, I think one of the biggest reasons like why it's catching up and like why it's getting big now is because I feel like it's actually one of the few things that actually works in terms of its sustainability um, and in terms of uh, like the results. And like what I mean is like, yeah, if, if you eat a salad, you're not going to you're not going to cure your anxiety for the day. Right. That's not what we're saying. But yeah, what it's saying yeah. is that like, you know, your body and your system and your brain have evolved over the course of thousands of years in like this really amazing way. And and the way that it works is like you eat food, your esophagus, all this stuff, process it, your, your um, you know, your, then it goes down to your gut microbiome and then your gut basically eats whatever that you gave it. And so a lot of people don't know this, but humans don't actually, we don't actually know how to. Uh, process fiber. We don't know how to process right. plant fiber on our own, mm -hmm. and so our gut does that. That's why. And then it yeah, yeah. And then it, and then um, and then your bacteria produce more bacteria, right? And then mm -hmm. it, and to be honest with you, it's very very complicated. Nobody really knows. Yeah. But what they're saying is that through that and through like the nerve endings, um, they're like a huge uh, you know neurotransmitter that's often implicated in social anxiety and mental health serotonin serotonin they're, they're saying that there is a major um like like you know working major. alongside your brain yeah in terms of like it's 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 synthesizing it's processing nobody knows exactly how it works but like for example in my book i talk about this study where they talked about where uh, like the the journal of science or something or journal of uh, of neurology came out with the study and they basically showed that there are four main ways to like change this neurotransmitter serotonin um, in your brain, which again, like the best way that I think about that is like, so your brain doesn't actually like to think. So it creates like these mini habits almost like in your brain. And like it stores your thoughts through the biological infrastructure of, of neurotransmitters. And so you could basically say that based on how your brain structure has been formed, which is really through the, the food that you eat, right? Because ever since you're a kid, how is your body growing? Your body's growing through the food right. that you're eating. And so based on that, what can then begin to happen is there can be all kinds of, of issues. And so this, this study had showed that there's four main ways to change serotonin and, and help it. Number one is diet. Number two is exercise. Number three is um, sunlight and direct access to light exposure. Mm -hmm. um, and the fourth one is like therapy, psychotherapy, meditation, um, having different like cathartic, like friendly experiences in social what about, situations. What about, um, what about, um, uh, what's it called? Um, sorry, what's that other hormone? Oxytocin. Hmm. Um, Hugging, socializing gives oxytocin. Wonder if that's. Yeah, that's that's okay. an interesting one. I mean, it, it wasn't. I mean, this this study specifically looked at serotonin, but um, from my understanding, like oxytocin is something that I think the best embodiment of it is like when you get a hug from your mom. 
-hmm. like they say it's like that that sort of embodiment maternal Um, maternal type of hormone right yeah yeah for bonding for bonding for sure and and i think I, i think the biggest thing is like um when it comes to like loneliness people being lonely um you know, I don't know how much you, you, you know, talk about this or, or this comes up, but like, I talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I feel like people in this group, like introvert, shy, social anxiety, like I think there's two kinds of loneliness, right? There's the sort of kind of extreme social I- isolation, which is mm-hmm. like where I was personally at in like 2015. Kind of a dark, place. dark place. You don't literally mm-hmm. see anyone. You don't talk mm-hmm. to your family, friends. You don't want to talk to anybody. More antisocial like actually. Yeah. Antisocial is on another level, right? That's a, that's a, yeah, I don't even know. Yeah. Antisocial is a mental health disorder. Yeah. Uh, That's, and then it's on the extreme spectrum of avoidance and things like that. And that's considered potentially dangerous in some ways as well from what I know to yourself, probably most more than, more than other people, but it can bring in the the very depressive and suicidal tendencies and things like that. But, but anyways, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no. And I think that's a great point that you bring up because like, again, I don't know, I don't know exactly. And I'm not a scientist. I don't know exactly how this works, but like what I'm assuming is like personally for me, like if I had, um, you know, stayed you know where i was when i was 18 and socially isolating maybe 10 years from then then maybe i you know i would have like a mental disorder yeah. of antisocial and i know there's other ones mm-hmm. um i know I've, I've heard of some sad things because of like quarantine and how that's affected yeah. different people but um yeah um but yeah i mean i don't to be honest with you i completely oh no so loneliness right so so there's i think there's two kinds of loneliness there's that kind of like social isolation maybe antisocial i'm not sure but then there's the other kind which is like there's people around you, like you're around people, yeah. but you don't feel like you're connecting to anybody. You don't feel yes. like you're bonding, you know? Very, very so maybe that has to, Yeah. And then, so maybe that has to do with oxytocin. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, th- you know, this concept that I heard the other day is that, you know, loneliness doesn't come from having nobody else around you. Loneliness comes from not being able to communicate what's the most important to you. Yeah. So then I start to think about like, being an introvert, being shy, especially having social anxiety, being afraid to like literally be yourself and talk about what's most important, really. Um, that is like such a quick route to loneliness. And like, I think loneliness is a, is a real serious issue that, um, you know, there's been all kinds of studies that show like it's very bad for your physical health, mental health. And so like, to me, I kind of look at it as like, social anxiety is sort of like this gateway drug to social isolation, Mm -hmm. loneliness, which then if you like, look at it too, like, um, you know, loneliness is also implicated in like suicide, you know? And then you start to think about, you know, like a lot of people, unfortunately out there who, you know, are in the same position where, you know, I was, and then you think about the sort of solutions that we have in our society of like, you know, go see a therapist, go see a doctor, or if it's like worst case scenario, call a suicide hotline. But then you just think about it and you're like, but if you're someone who has social anxiety and your mental health is like really deteriorating, it's really bad, you're probably not going to want to call or, or talk or yeah. to any of those people. And so I think it's like a huge, huge sort of like gateway that's like almost kind of hidden. And like, this is what I gave my TEDx talk about because I think this is just a serious issue that, that I literally – was this close to falling into. Like I literally am, I, you know, I'm so grateful every day that I'm, you know, super lucky and I was able to, you know, get out of that. 
because there's so many people who don't, you know, and I think these things are, are, are the gateways that end up triggering people, you know, decades down the road, because ultimately, man, like what I think social anxiety is social anxiety is like this disease from your brain that gets you to isolate yourself, that gets you to like not be yourself. And I mean, so you're basically saying that social anxiety is a gateway to potentially being anti having antisocial tendencies, getting into a dark place, maybe suicidal and things like that. I mean, do you want to, do you want to bring up an example or something of where you were at one time, like how, how, how you may have been in that position so others can relate and, and maybe anything specifically you did to get out of that hole? Yeah, definitely, man. So for me, when I look back at, you know, my life, um, one of the biggest triggers for me was uh, at a young age, moving to a super small white town and being the only uh, uh, immigrant post 9-11 as a Middle Eastern and facing all kinds of bullying and, and racial profiling. And I remember just like growing up as like the only person in this town as just always being different. And for me, before this was before I knew what social anxiety was. This okay. is before I knew what mental health was. Yeah. And so for me, I was just like, when I leave this place, like when I go to college, this is where I'm going to get to be different, right? But then what happened was that I went to college, but then I realized that all the like all my behavior was the same. And I was like, oh, wait. So I changed my location. I changed the people that I was around, but I'm still shy i'm still socially anxious and mm -hmm. i you know started to you know i told you i started to google it i started to research it and i started to try to expose myself and when i did that it made myself feel so much worse about myself because i just couldn't do it i could just you know i was just failing and i just started to think like man i'm just i'm just like never getting out of this and i just feel like I felt like there were so many different like dreams. There were so many different things that I wanted to do that I couldn't do because of who I was and because of like how I was acting, how I was, how I could communicate, how I couldn't communicate. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, when that happened, that's where I started to like, I, where I just like saw myself. It's very weird. I didn't, I didn't realize at the time, I didn't know that I was starting to slip down. But the next thing I knew, I started to like eat a little bit more junk food. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I would start to like just eat a little bit more. And then I would start to like maybe, you know, wake up a little bit later. I would start to go to sleep a little bit later. I would start to maybe, you know, play too many, you know, video games, uh, you know, like maybe drink too much alcohol, right. watch too much porn. I just started to see myself just like go into these things you, that you were looking for serotonin things or, yeah. dopamine, or dopamine right you're looking for highs like anyone naturally would and everything you just mentioned gives you those highs and everything you just mentioned i think me myself everyone else can say we've used that to cope whether intentionally or unintentionally right it's huge man and i think one of the biggest things that i look back on is like why didn't i realize this before like why didn't i try to be proactive about this before you're young bro yeah, yeah right, right for sure like, yeah i mean how could you know i mean <laughs> yeah there's no way 
there's no way, man. Give yourself yeah. a, give yourself some credit. I, man, to this day, I'm in, I'm 34 now, man. Like to this day, I'm still catching myself with terrible habits or catching myself in spirals, whatever it is, like anyone else. Dude, at that young of an age, your brain is not fully formed. You know all this. Like, come on, there's no way you're catching yourself. Like most people, yeah. there, there's just no way. And that's the, yeah. that's the scary part about it. Mm. It is, it is. And, and, and I think, and I think back to like, why didn't I do something about this before? Because like, I feel like I, I heard this stuff. Like I, I feel like I heard like, oh, you should exercise, you know, you should, you should do these things. And I think about it and I think about it for like the same exact reason before as to what you're saying is like, your brain is just like searching for serotonin, right? And like you have anxiety, you have depression. So then these things, like these habits that require maybe consistency, maybe discipline, you can't even do that, you know, and it's not, it's not, it's not because you're, you're stupid or it's not because you're not working hard enough. It's just because like, you need to, you know, like learn the basics of like mental health and sort of like how these things operate so that these things, you can flow more easily into them, not sort of go against the grain. Um, and so, yeah, so I just saw myself just like spiraling down. Right. And the next thing I knew, um, and I, I always had sleep problems throughout my entire life, but next thing I knew, I just couldn't really go to sleep at night. Insomnia? And like literally, was it? Yeah, insomnia? just like literally, no matter, just like no matter what I would do, my brain would just like I would just close my eyes, and then sometimes it would be social anxiety. Sometimes my brain would just start running through like, oh, here are all the social scenarios that are going to happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Here's here's what could happen. Oh, okay. here's what happened yesterday. Here's why you should have done it differently. Here's why people think you're stupid. <laughs> um, so it was mostly yeah. that. But I would just like okay. I would sit there, and then I would just like open my eyes. And just like be full of just like energy and then look at my phone and be like, oh, it's 4 a.m. Wow. So that ha that would happen so often to the point where um, I was probably sleep deprived for like a solid month, month and a half. And what actually ended up happening was, so I was in, I was in Boston at the time and the area where I was living was pretty nice, but it was, um, let's just say it was like neighboring a city that wasn't so nice. And, and like I was in college at the time. And so it wasn't too far away from our college. And so I remember we would get like campus police alerts of like, Hey, don't go down this street. Don't go down this street. There's been like some gang shooting. And so we all knew that it was like a very not so great place. And so basically what I was doing is my brain just broke. Like that's the best way I describe it. My brain just felt broken. And what I started doing was I was just like, you know what? I'm just like in so much pain. I just don't want to deal with this anymore. And so I was just like, let me go for walks at like 2 a.m. and or 3 a.m. in like these ghettos and just like try to fantasize and just like try to hope that like some dude would walk up to me and try to mug me and like kill me and murder me. And so I remember doing that for about a solid three weeks. And I remember one of the things that changed was, I mean, number one was I started to slowly start to like listen to podcasts on my walks. So that started to like, I, my brain started to like learn more about what, what's possible. But then I remember um, number two was that on one of these nights, on one of these walks, I was, you know, walking in, in Boston. I remember I was crossing one of these highway bridges where like you're on this bridge. And then if you look down, there's like highways. And so generally speaking, there's like a lot of cars always zooming past there. It's very loud. But I remember going there at like 2, 3 a.m., and I was just looking down at the time, just looking down walking because that was like my normal, mm -hmm. just like walking behavior. And I remember just like all of a sudden everything getting like silent. 
everything just like getting super still. And it was almost like a kind of silence where it's like, it's like almost like someone, it's like if someone hit the mute button, it's like a silence where it's like, whoa, that's, there's too much silence. And I remember when that happened, it like while I was standing on top of that bridge where it would normally be very loud, I remember like feeling that silence and it was, it was almost as if like that feeling that you said when you're in jujitsu of like, you just forget about everything else and you're just in your own bubble. And I remember like looking up and I remember just like looking around and I remember just like all of a sudden, just like having a moment of just like conscious awareness. Like all of a sudden I, I feel like I was, um, I, I like left this trance that I was like, got sucked up in over like the last, you know, a few months. And I just like had like this like realization where I was just like, wait, what am I doing here? Like, why am I like going on a walk in like the middle of this night in this not so in like this not so great neighborhood trying to basically kill myself. Um, and so I remember like when I, it was just a very surreal moment. And I remember just like, when I realized that just like running home and like crying (laughs) and, and I just, I honestly didn't know what was happening. And I remember the first thing I did is like, I went upstairs when I got home to my college dorm room and I remember looking at myself going, going home in the bathroom and looking at myself in the mirror. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror at like 3 a.m. And I was like sweating <laughs> coming back from like this run. And I remember like making direct eye contact with myself. And then I remember like all of a sudden feeling that my pants, the jeans that I was wearing, all of a sudden felt super tight. And I remember just like trying to stick my finger down there and be like, wait, I don't remember like buying skinny jeans. And all of a sudden, like I looked up at the mirror and that's, that's like when I realized throughout this like period, throughout this trance, I had gained like over 75 pounds, 85 pounds. And like that moment, that night where I had, you know, reached that silence of just like this surreal moment, I feel like that's where a moment where I was able to kind of be like in the present moment for like one of the first few times in my life and just get clear about like the objective truth of my reality. And that's the time where I realized like, oh, wow, maybe I shouldn't be doing these things. And, 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 you know, again, like even at that time, I still had no idea what mental health was. I had no idea what social anxiety was, Mm -hmm. but for me, the biggest thing was like, I could see my physical reality right? I could see how I looked in the mirror. And so I was like, you know what, let me just try to learn more about health and try to learn more about how can I lose weight. And so I went through this period where I got super lost, confused. I was like, what diet should I choose? And all all these different fads and whatnot. But then eventually that's how I started to actually learn about the power of like nutrition. I started to understand like, oh, food isn't just about like the macros or like the calories or like, Oh, if you eat too much food, you're just going to be fat or you're going to gain weight. Oh no, actually like every food that you put in your mouth, like you're that actually becomes your cells, like your body repurposes that. Right. And so you want to make sure that you have clean food going in. And I start to read all these things on how it affects your hormones and your energy and your mental performance and your focus. And so all of a sudden, like I started to change my diet And I remember losing weight, but more importantly, it felt like for the first time in my life, my brain turned on. And when that happened, that, that began like an entire cascade effect of like, all of a sudden I started to sleep well at night. All of a sudden I started to exercise and like move my body. All of a sudden I started to like have the mental energy to like read 
books about this stuff. And then I started to like read and, and research, you know? And so that for me was like how it happened. Like it, it was like this like really weird rock bottom that I didn't really know that I was in. And then eventually, you know, through like a present moment, I was able to like get myself out of that and then slowly sort of transition and start to eat a little bit healthy, which then start to, started to improve my mood. And then that really began like the, the runaway train, so to speak. Um, it wasn't all obviously ups from there. It was all kinds of ups and downs still, but yeah. that that's kind of how my journey evolved. And I, honestly, I'm, I'm grateful. It's like you're, at, at least in one way, by you changing your relationship with food, even though that wasn't necessarily intentional, it saved your life. Um, yeah. not, not just in the physical way you look, but like you said, it had a cascading effect because it changed your mood. And by changing your mood, you're able to change the way you thought and, and changed your, your, your interest. It changed your receptiveness to new information and outgoingness and socialization. And so it was just one, it's kind of the straw that broke the camel's back in, I guess, a positive way or whatever. But, uh, I mean, that's really interesting, um, for sure that, you had sort of a, an epiphany that night mm. in that morning, some, for some, whatever reason, something snapped in a good way, uh, which is, which is a blessing, right? That instead of say jumping off of that overpass, uh, you had some mind mind change <laughs> and you got home and you were in a weird mood, but then somehow it was like a, a synapse was created in your brain that night for some reason. And that synapse, that one uh, neuron connecting to another neuron was all you needed to have a new thought. And that new thought was at least incidentally about diet. And then that had a cascading effect on new synapses and it branched and changed your life. Kind of interesting way of illustrating it. Hmm. You know, I've, I've had different, it's interesting. It's very interesting the way you say that because I've had different conversations with, with different friends of mine and stuff. And, and we talk about how, like, there's certain things in life where like you hitting rock bottom, uh, mm -hmm. meditation does this too, where you're forced into the present moment of your life. And I think one of the most challenging things about anxiety and mental health in general is that once your brain starts to wire you to have these certain set of behaviors, you become that behavior. Like, so people who have social anxiety in their heads, like they're, for the most part, they're entirely defined by their social anxiety. They say, Oh, I'm not a, I'm not a smart person. I can't right, do this. Right. Maybe, maybe not really. Maybe that's just, you know, the social anxiety. And so, you know, one of the biggest things is that, you are not even really in the present moment. You're just sort of going off the experience that has always happened, the information, the senses that your brain has always told you that you've always felt. And the reality is, is that a lot of us are in these loops so much so to the point where it could be argued that we're not even actually living our lives. We're living in like this past future scenario of mm -hmm. like, Every time we walk in somewhere, our brain tries to like think about, okay, all these people that we've seen before, we have to like act in a way that, 
you know, our past self would be congruent. And like it, it runs all these different things to where you're not even in the present moment able to choose what you want to do and truly live yeah. your life. And so like one of the things that I think what happens is when you hit rock bottom or meditation, and I think one or two other things do this too, it forces you to like be in that present moment. And I feel like for me, dude, I feel like I was like, I, I was never present my entire life. Like I, to be honest with you, there are so many there's like, I don't even feel like I have like, I have, I feel like half of my memories are like missing. I feel like half of my memories from my childhood, my early life are just not there because I wasn't even present. I was just in, you know, this imagination land up here. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's very common with people who like face anxiety, depression in their past of like, they have a lot of memory loss, you know, of like just not remembering. And so it's really interesting. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but like, I think these things, they force you to just be like, wait, yeah. what? You know, that's literally why <laughs> jujitsu for me is so there you go. powerful because like I said, it's a, you're in a fight or flight type of, uh, feeling when you're, when you're, when you're training and stuff, you literally cannot, even if you tried, <laughs> think about the past or the future mm. because you're dealing with the problem right in front of you and you're wrestling someone or whatever. Right. And that's, what's awesome. Cause it's like mm. for me, someone who's always living in the future, um, it's an escape from the future. I, mm. in that moment, I get to live in the past and, or excuse me, I get to live in the present and living in the present is, is, it sounds crazy to people who may not, who may not deal with this living in the present is such a blessing because when you live most of your life in the future, you're obviously living with anxiety. And I think there's some kind of Buddhist expression, which I will, I will butcher here, but it's something like if you live in the past, you're depressed. If you live in the future, you're anxious. If you live in the present, you're happy and it's easier said than done. But yeah, that's what I'm looking for out of life in general. For me, that is the, the solution. The macro solution is trying to find ways to live in the present. Like it's literally everything. And we, and I think it's sort of pop culture. Now, a lot of people know that living in the present is, is something that's important. doesn't mean you shouldn't think about the past and you shouldn't think about the future. You probably should, but you should have a healthy relationship with those thoughts. So I'm trying to continually find ways to, to be in the present. Mm. Very, very hard for me other than ways that force me to do it, which is one example is the jujitsu. But, um, I think uh, I actually think socializing is one of the ways to do it because if you're engaged in conversation like I am with you right now, and for introverts it tends to be deeper conversation, meaningful conversation. Um, that's one way. So I love I. And that's what people don't understand is introverts love conversation. They just don't love <laughs> small talk, and they don't usually like so much things like gossip and 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 whatever they define as not being conversation of depth but for me that's a great es escape it's a great way to be super engaged and focused on something in the conversation just like we are now with podcasts that's an awesome way because right now i haven't thought about my phone i haven't thought about social media i haven't really thought about my family or friends or too much there's not <laughs> too distractions you know and i think that's awesome is like we need to find ways to be more present and like you said meditation is one of those ways that i still have yet to get into but i really want to um and yeah uh, yeah, dude. I mean, dude, I, I love this man. And I, I, I love, I literally love this conversation. This makes me so happy. And, um, and, and I, I definitely, I agree with you. I think that's definitely the answer. Like trying to find as many ways to, to be in the present moment is 
the key to happiness and, and, and lower anxiety for sure. But then I also think like when you're younger, it's also very hard to be in the present moment. Like there's a, re I think there's a reason why like our brains almost develop this coping mechanism of not wanting to be in the present moment. And so I think for personally, for me, that's something that I had to like reconcile. Um, and understand of like, there are different, you know, elements of like, whether it was like my emotional temperament or like my family situation or, or being at school, where like not being present is a coping mechanism that your brain has to help you. Okay. But then what happens is like, when you grow up, you're like, oh crap, I, I, if I'm not in the present, then I, I am not even in the one in control of my reality. So then it's about like consciously choosing um, what you want to do in the present. But but this is why I say meditation. So when you, I don't know if you've looked into this, but our brains have different modes, almost like, like a car has a park gear and it has a drive gear. And, and basically like there's this network in our brain called the default mode network. I don't know if you've heard of this or not, but basically what this means is that when your default mode network is activated, this is when your prefrontal cortex um, basically turns on and your prefrontal cortex um, kind of helps with like thoughts, things like that. And so what happens is your brain has these two different moods, uh, two different modes, excuse me, default mode and then active mode. Okay. Default mode. That is when you are by default existing, not in the present moment. So you're just like thinking about daydreaming, imagining the future. But then there's literally a different mode that your brain gets in. And, and like they can study this, they can scan us with brain scans where like the different neural networks, like its structure looks different, turn on. And so what they found is that with meditation, it actually strengthens these neural networks. And so the way that you can actually think about this is like, this is actually like literally a muscle that your brain has to focus on the present moment. And so there are different things that you can do to strengthen this muscle. And by far, I think the biggest one that's the most sustainable is in like, it's the most consistently growing is meditation. And it helps you do that. And I know for me, um, meditation and then also eating healthy, um, like eating a lot of healthy fats and like eating healthy for the first time in my life that helped my brain focus for the first time. And I, I, I could never focus my entire life on anything except for really video games. And that's because like, if you study video games and how video games are made, yeah. they actually know how to measure when your brain is in active mode and it's in flow because video games are the best thing, the best invention that human beings have come up with to get us fastest into flow in the present moment. Um, and so like meditation is one of these habits, like a meta habit that will help strengthen this network, which will not only help you focus in real life, which is a huge issue that introverts already have, because a lot of us are too busy focused internally, which is fine, you know, every once in a while. But if you're in a social yeah. scenario where you want to be focused on the external environment, mm -hmm. but you lack the focus muscle to focus on the external environment, you're going to, you know, you're going to struggle. And so for me, um, and also like a lot of this, the, the, the data and the research, it shows that meditation helps with so many different things, but it actually specifically helps people with social anxiety for this reason. You know, a lot of people think that Meditation is about trying to make you calmer. 
that's part of it, but that's like a very small percentage. Meditation is actually about rewiring what your brain is focusing on. So then when you step outside of that meditation, that muscle is still being worked on. And then you can flex that muscle in real life when you're not meditating, which will help you be in the present moment more, which will almost automatically decrease social anxiety. And so if that makes sense, like that's why, like that, like that's why I said like nutrition, gut microbiome, meditation, uh, incremental, like targeted exposure therapy for the different layers of social anxiety. Those three things, man, like I those, like out of everything that I've seen, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's other things that work better for other people. Yeah. Those three are like the, the go-to as like foundations because they help you do everything else and it makes it just a lot easier. You know, I think you've, you've said something that seems to be like an emerging science as well, at least from what I read is the neuroplasticity of how, you know, how you can use meditation and other types of mind exercises to strengthen and create connections and synapses in your brain and stuff like that. I think that stuff's super, super fascinating. I think what's, I think what can be troubling about that uh, that modality is that mm -hmm. it's, it seems so abstract. Um, it seems so mm, sci-fi or something mm -hmm. like that. Right. Because that's the interesting thing. Uh, when we, when we talk about stigmas is when mm -hmm. the difference between the physical body and like the emotional or mental body is, I think there's a no, I don't think I know for a fact there's a a big delta in knowledge and understanding of those of those two systems of the body. And and you can see that. And there, there's some sort of quote. I don't know if it's a quote. Someone said it somewhere that I love it is that when someone is physically disabled. Um, we um, we um, are very understanding generally and helpful to those people. But when people are emotionally or mentally uh, disabled, and let's just say mental health in a way can be a, a dis disability, whether mm. temporary or permanent, we make fun of people or we stigmatize them. Clearly in society, there's a big difference between how we understand and treat physical, the physical body and, 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 the, and the, the mental emotional body. Um, so I bring that up because... I feel like maybe tell me how you've experienced this as someone who's, you know, you've got a course in a book, you try to help people as well on this is that mm -hmm. maybe people are less um, inclined to leverage the kind of the mental way of trying to solve some issues um, because of the lack of understanding, maybe the difficulty in it because of how abstract it may seem and want to, prefer or default to things like physical things or non-abstract things like food and mm. med medicine and, and, mm. and tangible things like that. Mm. Uh, do you, what are your, what are your thoughts mm. on that? Have you, have you, have, I don't know. Have you thought about that before or experienced any resistance from people on some of the meditation side and things like that, that, that are, arguably more abstract compared to like, just give me a pill. Let me just change my diet. Like, let's do something more tangible. I don't, I can't get around that, that hoopla of like meditation and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So dude, first off, I, I love this question. This question is really making me think. And like, 
for me, like, dude, I was that person. Like, I literally remember, like, all throughout my life, like, all these hippies meditating, all these people eating healthy. Like, that's so – like, I would never do that, you know. Um, and, and I think I think for me, like, it just got to a point where, like, I just had to. Like, I just reached a point where I was like, I need to do this. You're desperate. Um, sort of, right? Yeah, desperate. And then also just, like, looking up, like, who else does it, right? So, like, I would read these articles on how, like, Kobe Bryant and, like, Oprah – they yeah. swear by their meditation every day. So then I'm like, huh, okay, they're not dumb. Let me like, maybe like, you know, one of the biggest things that I've learned is like, if there's a lot of people doing something and you just dismiss that as like, oh, that's dumb. Maybe you need to think twice and maybe you need to actually look in the mirror and yeah. be like, wait, like, like, are these people, are, are all these people really that dumb? Or am I just like, you know, missing something? And, and so for me, like one of the biggest reasons why I talk about this stuff is because um, so I think that I meet a lot of, uh, let's say shy, socially anxious people where, um, they're very mentally strong, so to speak. Like they're very logically, analytically yeah. strong, intellectual, and, smart, yeah. knowledgeable. Yeah. And so I think like as a result of that intelligence, that's basically like your brain creating these rules and creating these assumptions that you have been proved right on. And you have this history of being correct. Yeah. And I think the issue with that is that people who are more intelligent are actually least likely to change their minds about something. Whereas if you have been wrong many times before, you actually, I don't want to say lack the intelligence because I, I don't mean to like degrade anybody, yeah. but that's how I would have put myself. And like, that's actually how I feel like I was able to change my mind faster because I wasn't as intelligent. And so I was like, you know what? I could be completely wrong. And I think one of the biggest things with introverts, shy, socially anxious people that I meet is they think that they can use their mental strength as like a way of like trying out different ideas um, and, and sort of like trying to use their thoughts as a way to sort of do something in life. Um, you know, in terms of like, you talk to a socially anxious person, and you tell them like, hey, have you tried to, um, you know, do X, Y, and Z out of these different habits? And a lot of times, like, they'll just say like, no, because it's not going to work for me because I tried to mm -hmm. think differently. I tried to act differently and that didn't work. So why would this? And so I think that's, that's like a huge thing. And, I, you know, maybe you don't relate to this because you've done jujitsu your whole life. But I think that's like a huge, huge thing because here's the reality. Obviously, like, Again, like eating healthy, meditating, it's not going to solve all your problems in life. But here's the reality. If you can get someone to like eat healthy as consistently as possible, meditate as consistently as possible for 30 days, I can guarantee you it's going to work. It, it may not like cure them. It may not yeah. change their – it'll make them a lot better for sure. It'll improve their mood. It'll decrease their anxiety. Like, you know, I don't want to give a percentage, but like sure. that's the truth, you know. And so I think – I think in that case, um, that that power is also appealing to some people, like some people who are at a point where they're just like, for example, yo, screw being shy. Like, I can't do this anymore. They're just like, OK, what do I need to do to get through this? And then the, the thing is, is that it's a lot easier to start to put the right food in your mouth and start to like sit set aside 10, 15 minutes a day for meditation than it is to like go out there and be social and like conquer all of your social fears. Like it's a lot harder for someone who has spent their life in this sort of pattern 
if you get them to say like, hey, here are the things that you can start doing by yourself that are actually going to help you be more social, that are actually going to help you be better equipped in a position where you can deal with your social anxiety better, then I think that's a great solution. And like, again, it doesn't, it's not the same for everyone, but it's like, if you can address your brain first through like these things that your brain physically needs, like I talked about exercise, nutrition, sleep, sunlight, um, and then, you know, meditation, if you can help get your brain right, then eventually your mind will follow and it'll be a lot easier to get your mind right once your brain is right. Because I think a lot of people, they focus too much on mindset. You know, and I, I think again, mindset is huge. Mindset is is massive. It's, it has a lot to do with your mindset. But also like, you know, if, you're, if your social anxiety has basically like hijacked your mind for a decade and you're trying to use your mind to get out of the issues that your mind has really created in combination with your brain, which is now a physical and mental layer, then you need to sort of go with like a multifaceted approach if you actually want to sort of, you know, deal with this sustainably, right? Because I feel like any, I personally feel like um, without this, a lot of people I see like they, 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 they go up and down, like they elastic. So like they read these tips online, they're like, hey, I'm going to try to be more confident they go to like a networking event, they try to sort of practice them or like they try to be social, but then they just like go back down, you know? And obviously listen, like no one, no one has, you know, no one is successful all the time. Like you said, everyone has ups and downs, but like one of the best things that you can do is to like, make sure that your brain and your mind and your body. And then, you know, if you believe in like, you know, a spirit or a soul or something like to make sure that those are all aligned. Mm -hmm. And then going for it, I feel like is going to give someone much more sustainable, longer lasting results that are actually going to change their lives rather than some, you know, thing that's, that's like kind of BS that isn't really going to work, you know? And so I feel like out of all these things, these are like the most just like basic sustainable that will work for you in the longest period. I think for a lot of people who face do you, this, do you suggest one of these kinds of uh, modalities, um, first or, uh, or along with that, is there one of them or something you think is a, is a way for someone to start small? Um, so they can, again, kind of like in my experience earlier, I was talking about find a way to get some early small wins that they can get some momentum because I think including myself again, to this day, I mean, whether it's exercise or diet, meditation, all these type of things, many times it just seems, it just seems insurmountable. So what are some ways people can get some small, um, early wins that they can use to build momentum so they don't see such a, such a mountain in front of them and, and maybe it discourages them from trying? Yeah. So what I would say is that there is no like right or wrong way about this. Right. And so very common, what happens is that, you know, when you live a life and you have social anxiety, a lot of the times, like what, what's, I think what's naturally happening. And I, this isn't like, this isn't like a social anxiety conspiracy, so to speak. But I think what's happening is like, I think part of like what social anxiety does is like, again, I look at it as like an algorithm, like a virus that hijacks your mind. I think part of what it does, it like, it tries to convince you 
that like no matter what you do, like you're hopeless and you're never going to be fixed, so to speak. You know, and so I think that's like just one to just like be constantly aware of that again and again and again. Um, I know I definitely struggle with that. Um, and so I think for one, it's like just looking at your life and just being realistic, you know? And so one, it's like looking at, I think, what are you missing, right? So if you have spent an entire, like your parents have always told you to eat healthy, you've been eating healthy, maybe you don't start off with that one first. If you've always been exercising throughout your entire mm -hmm. life, maybe you don't start off with exercise first. If you, for example, have always struggled with sleep, or if you, you, for example, have always struggled with, you know, sitting still, lacking focus, then maybe, you know, meditation is something that I would recommend. Um, and really what I would say is like, do the bare minimum. So like what I would recommend doing is um, like, let's say, for example, meditation, what I recommend doing is like literally pick a time that you think you can do every day for a minute. And just go on your phone and set a reminder to, you know, meditate every day at, I don't know, 9.30 a.m. or 8.30 a.m. And literally just do it for a minute. And I think if you do that and then the next week go to two minutes, the next week after that go to three minutes. And then, for example, for some people, when they meditate, they actually really enjoy it. They actually, when they do it, um, it actually gives them a kind of relief that they've never had before. But for some other people... They do it and like their brain starts like, you know, like spazzing out a thousand miles per hour. Yeah. And like part of what you have to realize is like that's a hundred percent normal. And if anything, like that means that it's working, you know? And so like let's say that your your goal is like for eating healthy. What I think is a huge thing is like I think people they, you know, like for example, like I personally I don't believe in a universal healthy diet, but I do believe that human beings were made to eat like a natural whole foods, whole plant, whole animal based diet, not really eat processed and artificial chemicals and things that our body doesn't necessarily know how to recognize. Um, and so I think one of the biggest things is that a lot of people, they just try to restrict themselves and they just try to remove all the junk food that mm -hmm. they've like literally based their entire diet around their entire yeah. life. And then when that happens, that's going to stress your system out way more, which is then going to cause you to probably eat more, you know, as that, if that's your stress relieving coping mechanism. So for me, what I say is always try to add, like always try to add a healthy food. Like I know for me, I never ate healthy throughout my time. Like I literally never ate healthy. I didn't, I didn't eat a single vegetable except for like potatoes, you know? So for me, I was just like, yo, what's a healthy food, relatively healthy food that I can just like eat that I enjoy. So I just like started to eat like bananas. I started to eat avocados. I started mm -hmm. to eat eggs. I started to eat like blackberries. Like those are just like random things that I enjoyed mm -hmm. because like once you add things um, like in a good way, you're not restricting yourself. Yeah. Thing, things get easier. And then also at the same time, like if you're eating enough and you're getting enough of the right fats, the nutrients, minerals, your body, your brain is just going to be functioning better. Things are just going to be easier for you. And so again, it's different for like each person. Um, but I say do the, 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 the least minimum possible thing. And then this, and then the other part to that is like, so I believe personally that if you don't believe something is not going to work, it's not going to work. Because I lived my entire life before and I was like, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. And these things never worked. But then I redid them with a different mindset and then they all worked. So I personally believe that like 
in order for something to work, you have to invest in it in yourself. Okay. Yeah. And again, everyone has different goals. Everyone has different lifestyles, but personally for me, I know that like, I want to make eating healthy and meditation, just a regular daily part of my life, because I know that those daily habits are going to help me. And so for me, when I have the goal, um, as like, Hey, even if I mess up today, I'm just going to get another shot at this tomorrow. This is about, this isn't about perfecting. And this isn't about trying to make this into like some performance, some like crazy thing I have to do super well. This is just like a gradual like skill. This is just like a gradual part of me that I have to learn. And like, you know, you always hear people say like, you know, and again, everyone has different rules. I'm not telling people what to do, but like for some people, they, you know, they, they like cheat on their diets on the weekends or whatever. And they say to themselves, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start again on Monday. I'm going to start to diet again on Monday. Well, it's like, personally for me, like the food lifestyle, it never ends. Like, like there is no, there is no sort of doing that. But then of course, like I'll, I'll enjoy, you know, certain things. And like, what I'll say for me is like, as I personally on food, as I have improved my gut microbiome and my brain and my body over the years, you know, when I eat junk food and I eat different stuff, like it doesn't actually affect me that much. I don't, I don't really eat it regularly. I don't necessarily want to, um, because I've just, I've like unlearned that after yeah. like eating a primarily junk food based diet for most of my mm -hmm. life. Um, and so then like you start to like understand that like these things are actually enjoyable. Um, and like a quick example on that, for example, is like a lot of people will look at someone who eats healthy as like, oh, he's, he or she's restricting themselves, you know? And again, there's definitely a lot of people who overly restrict themselves for sure. But one of the biggest things that I learned is like, what happens is when you eat junk food, when you eat processed food, it actually changes your taste buds. I had no idea until I stopped eating junk food. But like what I would realize is like, oh, no wonder when I was a kid, no wonder I ate, I didn't eat like any fruits and vegetables and no wonder they tasted disgusting because mm -hmm. eating junk food regularly, it actually changes your taste buds. And what you'll notice is that if you can remove this stuff or not really consume it regularly, yeah. and then you have some of this fruit, you have some of this stuff, it actually tastes like way better than any other dessert. And then also these days, there's yeah. so many companies out there that are adapting to the market and they're actually changing their ingredients. You know, like for example, like before this, um, before this, I was, I was eating ice cream. I was eating cookies and cream ice cream, which is my favorite ice cream, but it has no sugar. It has no artificial chemicals, nothing that's going to hurt me. Uh -huh. Um, so I mean, so like there's all these different things that we can do. There's so many choices. And so it's really about like taking baby steps, you know, um, putting in that first habit, like one minute a day, every, every day that week is better than trying to do it like for 15 minutes and then failing. Um, yeah. and then like re putting reminders in your phone and then just like negotiating with yourself and like working realistically speaking, you know, it's not, it's not zero to a hundred, you know, it's zero to one, zero to, you know, two and then three and then four and then 50. And then maybe you're back to like 25 some days and then you got to go back to like 75, you know? And so, it's really a process and it's really about learning how you can deal with these things with yourself, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you said <laughs> that is uh, really, I think important is that each person needs to find their own kind of their own way. You mentioned that 
some people may already have the diet okay or might have the mental thing okay or physical thing okay. Find the area maybe that you are lacking a little bit. Start small. Uh, I you know you just slowly slowly change it. I think that's the big analogy they use in in uh, physical fitness at least. Right is like. Don't yeah. don't try to lose like 20 pounds in a week or whatever. Just lose <laughs> lose one be willing to lose one pound every two weeks. Yeah, it's gonna take six months or whatever to lose the weight you want, but that's more sustainable. And I think you said sustainable several times. And that's the hard part, is because we want results really quick. And fortunately, anything that matters isn't gonna isn't gonna come quick, right? You're gonna have to you're gonna have to change your your habits potentially permanently. And that's, what's really hard. And again, I've said it several times too. Like there's things, even I know to this day, I'm like, I still haven't changed those habits permanently. I'm better at them, but man, they're so, so ingrained that it's like, man, it's gonna, it's gonna literally be a lifetime. I'm never going to (laughs) achieve it. It's just going to, I'm just going to get better at it little by little. And I'm going to have ups and downs uh, depending on where I'm at in life and things like that, I'm going to have some, I'm probably going to have some crashes too. And, and then also just being okay uh, with those crashes to some degree, depending on how, how, how bad they get is understanding that you can't be perfect uh, forever and don't judge yourself for it. Um, try to catch yourself yeah. when you're doing it though. So you don't fall into too deep of a rut too deep in, into some kind of, let's say a mental health debt that can be, incredibly hard to pull yourself out of and for some people maybe maybe impossible so i think that's that's helpful as well you've said something that made me made me laugh you said something about uh conspiracies of you don't have a conspiracy of social <laughs> anxiety it actually reminds me of a funny i'll, I'll just say everything's a quote or a meme because i don't know where i saw it yeah <laughs> it, it was like a, i saw it on instagram of course and i think it said Anxiety is conspiracy theories you tell yourself. Uh, <laughs> you seen that? Yeah, yeah, that's so funny. Man, when oh, I saw that, I was like, "Ah, oh, damn, that's a that's a funny way of thinking about anxiety. Conspiracy theories you tell yourself." And I just like had to think about it. It stopped me in my tracks, and I was like, "Damn, that's so true." Because for the most part, obviously, anxiety is focused on on, on future events. So it's like. It can be it can be focused on what's happening in front of you too, but in many ways it's in the future, and so you're just you're 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 imagining um, things in an improper way. And do you know who Alan Watts is? Yes, that guy is like obviously he's not alive, <laughs> he's not alive anymore, but he's a for those who don't know he's a he's a philosopher that was very famous I think in the 60s, 70s, maybe 80s. I don't remember mm. when he passed away. Uh, I think he's British origin, but he spent a lot of time in in, in China and India and stuff like that. So his his philosophy is is very Eastern, from the respect of you know India and in in China and 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 uh, Asia. And anyways, one of the things he says as well is that anxiety. He, he a lot of his it, it, interestingly enough, a lot of his talks his uh, seminars and things like that is about anxiety, sometimes explicitly about anxiety, but he brings it up a lot. I listened to Alan Watts 
every single night before I go to bed. I have all wow. of his audiobooks. I have like a hundred hours of his audiobooks. <laughs> He's literally my favorite person ever because he touches upon all the stuff we're talking about and, mm. and so much more too, philosophically and and stuff like that. I listen to him every single night before I go to bed. Um, and he talks about meditation a lot, mm. Buddhism, stuff like that. Anyways, that's my long way of introducing him because he's such he's changed my life listening mm. to his auto books and his his audio seminars and stuff like that. Guys, like I said, he he passed away decades ago, so there's no YouTube of him. There are videos, but not many, because let's be honest, there wasn't as much video <laughs> in the 60s and 70s, but you can find some. I really suggest people look into Alan Watts as well. Listen to his audio yeah. or wherever you want to find it. YouTube. One of the things he he mentioned too on on the point of like conspiracy theories or anxieties, conspiracy theories that you tell yourself. One way he mentioned it is he said anxiety is misuse of imagination. Hopefully, I'm not crediting him for this, and it was someone else, but I'm pretty sure he said it at least as well. Anxiety. Yeah misuse of imagination and that was a really cool um explanation to me as well and those two anyways i just really like to tell people those you made me think about those two things because those stick with me and things that stick with me like expressions that stick with me are easy to remember and catch myself and be um be self-aware when i'm just mm -hmm. or something is to think like that Anxiety or conspiracy theories are telling self. I got to remind myself I'm having a conspiracy theory and I'm creating a conspiracy theory about myself or whatever, or I'm misusing my imagination. Change the paradigm, flip it. If I can think negatively about the future, then surely I can think positively about the future or the present. Literally. Choice. It is a choice. Now, it's not an easy choice for many of us, but it is actually a choice. So, Again, trying to catch yourself when you're doing that. And instead of being, to me, I also think the way I define anxiety and stuff too is that anxiety is, is like the, the anti-gravity or the anti-particle the anti, um, the anti, uh, of happiness or of hmm. positivity. Um, hmm. That's how I think of it. It's, it's literally the same it's of the same family, but on the opposite end. It is the anti-matter mm -hmm. of happiness or the anti-matter of positivity. Um, and anyways, I just bring that up because that's some ways that I've started to formulate my thoughts about anxious and negative thoughts is think of it like mm -hmm. that. It's, it's the part of the same, part of the same um, particle, whatever you want to call it. So why am I choosing to go to this end of the spectrum? I can choose to go mm. that way and it's tough to do easier said than done. But anyways, what do you think about that? Dude, I, I dude, I love that on so many levels. I mean, first off, uh, I love what you said on Alan Watts and imagination because, um, I remember there was this quote from Alan Watts that I heard or some analogy. I'm going to butcher it, but it's, he said something like water that is still, that is sitting still is easier to get dirty and muddy and cloudy over water that is running, flowing running water. yeah I, yeah and, and like when i think of that that is really a great reminder of like the fact of like you have to learn how to like process things in life and like not hide things and not try to like keep things to yourself because i think as as introverts like a, you know you have a very powerful mind like it can also get very 
you know, overweighing, you know? And so if you don't have a process to constantly renew, uh, and again, like, yo, meditation is a perfect example. Like meditation is literally like a deep cleanse for your brain every morning. It's like a reset button. That's the best way I would describe mm -hmm. it. Um, and the best part, I think what you said about imagination is, dude, I couldn't agree more with you. And um, like this, um, this program of mine that you mentioned, one of the things that I walk people through is that like, you know, again, my analogy is like social anxiety, sort of this virus that hijacks like the operating system of your life. And one of the things that it do does is that it, it installs these programs. It installs these um, like these different uh, applications. And, and, and one of the biggest ones that I go through is literally what you just said of like social anxiety hijacks your imagination. And a lot of the times what you'll often tell is that, um, yeah, mind tricks, you know, your brain, you know, social anxiety, you know, makes your brain play on you. A lot of times what what will happen is like if you talk to someone before, you know, if they can sort of recall a moment to where they started to get socially anxious, often always they had a super overactive imagination, like in a good way. They were always like a super imaginative kid. And I think, again, like what happens is I kind of mentioned this early at the beginning of the podcast is like you walk into a social scenario and then you look down or like you look away. So then in that time where your brain isn't getting the objective feedback about the data and the situation, then your brain just starts to imagine. And social anxiety plus imagination, woof, that's like mm -hmm. a brutal combination. you know. And I, and I talk about this like, yo, ima your imagination is part of why people who are successful are successful. Um, and so you have to learn how to like, get back in control of that muscle because like social anxiety is forcing your imagination to activate. You're probably an adult who doesn't even purposely try to tap into their imagination because you, you know, you don't get it or you think it's dumb or there's no point to it. And so part of that is like, it's flexing it on your own terms. And when you flex it on your own terms, yeah. just like you said, the other positive one gets stronger than the negative one, man. It's, it's so true. What you said, have you heard of, uh, probably have it's a famous book called uh think and grow rich by of course. Hill. of course man i i didn't read it i read audio booked it man that one's deep too and and honestly what what i love about that book and also about all of alan watts's talks is they're so timeless these are from mm. decades ago and <laughs> and they don't need to talk they don't even they, they they didn't exist they don't need to talk about like the internet social media or, or or modern technologies everything they say somehow is so timeless and evergreen and applicable today despite being so many decades past when they spoke about it and to me that's how i know what they're saying is inherently true mm. and applicable that it's timeless and it's evergreen and one of the things i bring up napoleon hill is one of the things that stuck with me again i generally am not good at remembering all the content of many books i just mm. there's certain like nuggets i i take away from books because it's a vast amount of information yeah. one of the things one of the concepts actually i think it's the overarching concept it might even be the secret of the book uh what it calls a secret or whatever um, that he explicitly brings up sometimes, and I'm going to make a weird analogy here. I'm going to use his analogy or whatever to make another weird analogy. Maybe it's not weird. Is he talks about transmutation of energy. That's what the book is a lot about is transmutation mm. energy. And in the book, he 
whatever. Maybe he's more Freudian. He talks about actually for men in particular, but women too, transmuting sexual energy. Yeah. For him, it's how can you transmute all of that energy you have, that sexual desire, however you want to define it, even it, just animalistically, how can you transmute? And for those who might want to use a different word, convert, um, funnel that that energy into a positive and into a constructive means, right? And I think that is a lot about anxiety too. In that book, it's mm. more about being successful in business and stuff. It's not so right. much about anxiety. However, I use that analogy for anxiety too, where I was talking about kind of the antimatter, antiparticle, is how can you transmute anxiety, anxious energy, how can you, because you got it. If you have it, you have it. You're not, you eat where you can use some of the modalities we talk about to reduce it. And that's very advisable. But for most of us, it's, you're not going to get rid of it. So what you have left over, if you're, if you are not reducing it, or even if you are reducing it, how can I leverage it? Actually flip it to my advantage. How can I transmute anxious energy into another form that I can use to my own advantage? That's what I'm thinking. Uh, I, I, I'm not saying I have all the answers of how to do that, but that's something I consciously think about in the moment. How can I transmute this anxious energy? How can I flip it on itself? Almost like it's in a weird way. I, I'm not very religious, but in, in a in a religious way, maybe how can I transmute you know, the devils or evil energy that I'm getting? How can I flip it? on itself and use it against itself oh anxiety oh you wanna you wanna try to ruin my day oh you think you're gonna get me to do something that's against my values or morals or my own good guess what thanks in a, in a jujitsu way i'm gonna use that, oh. I'm gonna use that energy to flip you you gave me your pressure on me and i used it to sweep you now i'm on top of you you know what i mean Ooh. i think in those type of concepts and that could that could be like a book concept man yeah, I mean, I love that, dude. Is, yeah. I would love to. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I mean, I think, believe it or not, Thinking Grow Rich was actually like the first book I ever read, like when I was at the start of my journey. Um, and I remember not really understanding that chapter when I came across it, but over the years, uh, I've definitely come to understand it more and more. But dude, I think you're right on the money, man. I think I, I could easily like see that. And I know, I know, for example, like. Simon Sinek talks about how love him, like, by the way. Love yeah. Him, I, love I know guy. how he talks about how like anxiety and being excited. I don't know. I don't know what his whole, I, I forget exactly what it is, but it's like, there is no uh, difference technically between those. And then it makes mm -hmm. me think like, Oh, maybe like the reason why I don't think I'm the best public speaker. I think I'm a great speaker. I, I actually really enjoy it. And I've met a lot of people who, come from shy social anxiety backgrounds not all of them some of them are great speakers today and i think there's definitely something to that of like the ability to convert like that high amount of energy that maybe was when you were a kid was just like oh shit i don't know what to do with this you know but then you learn how to do it you know and so and it's a huge part of it and i think you know for me it's it's like dude i like i all kinds of you know things and and whatnot but i definitely love to to hear you know, more about that. And, and like, you know, what you said of like that jujitsu move on how to flip anxiety back to like, I know, I know like, um, like big Sean has a uh, working harder than my demons, you know, mm -hmm. like if my demons are working harder, I'm working harder than them. Yeah. 
Um, so I mean, but but I think, but I like yours better, where it's like it's like that energy can you know transfer, right? Where it's not necessarily working harder. So yeah, that's awesome, man. I love what, to what's hear interesting. That. I'm a big I'm a big nerd in many ways too, and and one of the things is is physics. I love physics, and I look. I'm I'm not great at physics. I just love casually studying it. And one of one of the laws of physics is like the second or third law of therm thermodynamics, and that law of physics states that energy cannot uh, dissipate. It cannot be destroyed. Energy can only be converted. Mm. And that's a physical mm. fact from physics because if you burn something, it's converted into a new form of energy. Mm. If you if something dies, it is absorbed into the soil. And in a particle mm -hmm. level, it happens too. So on a, on a very interesting physics realm, I think of that too, is that truly nothing, I mean, truly everything is converted. Energy is only converted. Things can go from waves to particles, particles to waves, and they can change from, from, from molecules, um, uh, from molecules to elements and elements to particles and things like this. And it's just really interesting, a physical scientific way for, to, to really conceptualize that as well and i just nerd out on that level too is like if that's if that's literally it, it is a law of physics then it's not i don't need to convince myself that i can convert this ener anxious energy into something else i know it's actually possible uh, i just need to figure out how to do it yeah ain't that the question man dude i love that man honestly i honestly hope i go to sleep tonight i feel like yeah i feel like my mind is just gonna be bo bobbing around thinking about all these different things but well, i never thought about it like that hmm. before you go to bed let's talk a little bit about your book yeah man so i i wrote this book um really because i feel like i had to write this book i honestly i didn't write this book to like try to monetize it's like do it build it for my brand uh, at least at the time um for me this book was just like like i told you like i went on like the speaking tour in 2019 where i basically ended up speaking at uh, a lot of like major cities around america and like dude every single time every single city i'd go to there would always be like that one person or minimum one person who would who would like sort of walk up to me They'd be very shy, socially anxious, and they'd ask me, Mark, how did you go from, you know, being hardcore social anxiety, shy to being, you know, able to like speak on a stage and, you know, be confident and, and do whatever. Um, and so like for me, like I don't believe in like surface level solutions. I'm all about giving people like, like trying to get them on the path of like understanding like the root cause and like the most most important things they need to do to like get to the bottom um, of it so that they can deal with it really for their life. And so I'm like, I can't just write an article about this. Like I have to like yeah. go in depth and like go into this. And so, I mean, yeah, it was my first book. I'm definitely going to write another book. Um, but this for me is just like, I just feel like I had to get this out there to the world because I've read a lot of books about like shyness and social anxiety. And I just feel like not a lot of them really encompass um, my sort of view to this. And so for me, my book goes through, um, a little bit about my personal story, just so, you know, the reader can kind of imagine themselves, um, in a very similar boat, because a lot of times when it comes to like people talking about social anxiety or mental health, um, it's usually like very impersonal or like when it comes from like a productive scientific standpoint, but I feel like that can alienate a lot of people. And so for me, like this book, it literally walks you through, 
um, like how to understand like what social anxiety is, understanding that social anxiety is actually not your problem. It's actually your brain's problem. Um, and then how to basically establish like a sense of motivation to get you through like the next month, two months, three months of like what my book plans you to do. And at the end of every chapter, there's different like questions, different exercises for you to ask yourself. And it walks you through, you know, a series of steps of like, how do you change your biochemistry to then how do you start to think and, and, uh, and speak more confidently? How do you stop overthinking? How do you be yourself in front of anyone? What do you do about social media at work? How do you tell people about it? Um, and so, uh, yeah. And so, and it's also on audible, it's an audiobook, and I actually narrated it and I got my Wait. friend to come interview me in between the chapters. So I tried to go all out for it. Um, it's like a, it's like an eight, nine hour, like whole thing. And, um, and then, and then, yeah. And then what I always say to people too, is like, if anybody ever has any questions, anything at all that they want to ask in general about the book, whatever, um, you know, feel free to reach out to me anytime. The best way people can reach out to me is if you go to my website, Mark Metry, M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y.com, there will be like an email box. And if you put your email in there, you will be subscribed to um, my uh, my email newsletter. And every single week, I send out like one, two, three. It should be a little bit if you scroll down just a little bit. Um, yeah, right there. Um, I send out every single week. I just send out like just purely educational articles, information all about social anxiety, being shy, mental health, um, and it, it, it you know it syncs up with my podcast too that I have. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's the best place. And, um, and, you know, people who want to check out my podcast, it's called social anxiety society. And then I also just came out with, uh, with like this 45 day program, which is like my, my shot at like trying to like scale out everything that I have learned, um, into like a day by day, step by step program, because like everything that we said, it's a lot easier said than done. It's a lot harder of like, what do you actually do when it's like day 13, you know, and, and you don't want to do it. And so this is my attempt at trying to do that so far. I've gotten great feedback. Um, and yeah, that's the best place. And again, please don't be shy. Feel free to reach out to me. And, um, and dude, I, pre this is like the, one of the best podcasts I've ever been on. I, I'm so <laughs> glad, man. I like this long uh, format. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Uh, I mean, we could go forever and I'm sure it would be nice. We'll do a, maybe do a few more episodes in the, in the future. Um, there's so many yeah. things we could talk about and, and, and we'll catch up. I know it's, it's late on your end when we're doing this, we'll catch up another time too on, on maybe yeah. some personal, uh, opportunities and stuff. I think we're playing in Let's the same it, sandbox man. and that's really cool. And I could, I could learn a lot from some of the things you've done as well. So I'd love to touch on that. Thanks so much, man. Everyone go check out Mark's uh, podcast, check out his website, check out his program, check out his book. He's got a lot of stuff out there that'll help you guys. Uh, he's, 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 he's lived it. He's breathed it. He, he, he's got a lot of great modalities and things to help you guys. If you're looking to fight your social anxiety and stuff like that. And, uh, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks a lot. Dude, dude. I'm so grateful, man. You're a great host. Thanks for having me. And I can't wait to, to look back at this episode the same way that I look back at our episode yeah. in 2017, man, you're going to crush this. Thanks I'm man. Everyone check in the description. I'll put links to all of his stuff. So, uh, have a good night, brother. See you around. <laughs> Later, bro. I go to sleep tonight, man. <laughs> <laughs>